0: Good morning, family. Good morning. Is, this, is this on? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I know that we just prayed, but can we pray just one more time really quick before we start? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that we get to be in your house. We get to be in your presence and see your glory, God. And in your powerful name and in your wonderful name, we can gather here and say that we are family, we are brothers and sisters, Lord. And if we do not know you, Lord, help us to understand what your word is all about today, how faith is such a vital role in whether we have salvation or not in you, Lord. Help us to understand your word because it is not from us. Our ways are not your ways, and your understanding is so much deeper and broader and wider than we can ever imagine and fathom, Lord. So give us your wisdom. Give us your discernment, Lord, Heavenly Father, and test and approve so that we can be transformed by your word and your truth today. In all these things, we praise you and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, I have an uncle who um, I didn't know until I was about junior high or so. He came and visited us one day um, while I was growing up in Guam. And uh, he owned a distribution company where he didn't necessarily own the, the company that Sourced the products, um, but he owned the company that distributed the items. Like, um, if you had a, you know, like a market, like he didn't own Kellogg's, but he owned the 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 companies that brought Kellogg's to the stores. And so, out of all of our family, he was the most uh, well-to-do financially. And uh, one day he came and visited us us in Guam because he was opening up another connection uh, with another company on the island and um, he took my sister and I to the Sanrio store. I don't know if there's still Sanrio stores nowadays like you know like the 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 pink store where it smells way too sweet and it has like all Hello Kitty stuff and like ribbons everywhere it's a little too sweet it was even a little too sweet for my taste even back then but it's okay like everybody has their different like tastes right and so he took us because he's like oh my nieces are girls and I want to I want to show them that I love them I haven't seen them ever and so they're all grown up, so I can't buy them, like, toys. I give them the choice to buy whatever they want. So he took us to the Sanrio store. Mind you, this is the first time that ever I ever went into the store knowing that I was going to get something from the store because my mother was like, that's not, that's not useful. That's not practical. And so we went in there, and he said the magical words. He said, you can get whatever you want, as much as you want. And my junior high pea brain went what? <laughs> and it took me over thirty minutes. The poor man. He stood in the pink, uh, you know, pastel room with all of the little girls. And I, instead of, if it was your children, I don't know how you would have done it. Can you imagine? Like my sister and I, we didn't know what to do with ourselves. We. We didn't because we didn't know our uncle, and we didn't know how like strict he was in comparison to our mother or anything like that. And so, what we ended up getting was a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I picked out one pencil, and then he looked. It, I gave it to him, and then he's like, that, "That's all you're getting?" And I say, "Yes." It's like you don't want anything else. You don't want that giant Hello Kitty bag. You don't want like all of the. The, the shirts and the erasers and all of those cute like mugs and plates and stuff I'm like pencil the, the <laughs> and so I, I still remember it to this day because I regret so bad not that I want it <laughs> and so I couldn't ask for more because I didn't necessarily know the guy at the time and um, I didn't trust him and I didn't know how much he, when he said, like, you can do whatever, like, what do you mean by whatever, right? I, and it wasn't just me. My sister did the same thing, too, so we still talk about it. We're in our 30s. And we're like, oh, remember the time? And um, I, I think that, that when God gives us a gift of salvation, we have a tendency to do the same thing. When God gives us a gift We limit Him. We put put our limitations and our understandings of the gift that He's giving us, and we don't really accept what He is intending for us to have. Right? Whenever somebody gives us a gift, what do we need to do? We have to accept it, right? And the salvation that God gives us through Jesus Christ is just the same. We learned in, um, in YPL with the youth, the word for grace in Greek uh, is charis. And charis in Greek literally translates to gift. So the grace of God, the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, is accepted just like any other gift. But it's accepted through faith, And, but the truth is, not everyone will go to heaven simply because Christ died. I know it's a really sobering fact, but it's the truth. The question we are trying to answer through today's thread of the gospel is, how can I receive salvation God has provided through Jesus Christ? Right? We need faith, but what does that mean? We learned about the different threads of gospel. We call it threads is because we weave the gospel in and out of our daily life. And we talked about God's character and the offense of our sin and how we rebelled against God because we are in our sinful nature. And last week we learned about the sufficiency of Christ, that God provided a price for the payment And Christ was sufficient to pay that cost. So today, that cost, that gift that God has given to us, we're learning what it means to have faith, to accept that gift. Three out of four Americans claim to have faith in Christ. Those are pretty good odds. Those are pretty good odds. But if we take a chance to have a deeper conversation with any Person who may say that they have faith in Christ, that definition of faith can greatly vary. Because I've heard multiple people, even outside of the Christian faith, talk about their own faith. So, how are we supposed to know what faith is supposed to be? And the truth is always in the Bible. Yes? Amen? Amen. And so if we don't define the way that the Bible intends, we have a tendency as human to swing between two extremes. One extreme is we dilute the biblical definition of what faith really means. Or if you're like me and you're over analyzer, you complicate it to no end and it becomes so difficult that you can't even, you don't even realize, you always doubt whether you've really been saved or not. So let's look at what it means to dilute faith then. We toss around the word faith so easily these days. I have five friends named faith, right? It's, we hear it on TV shows, Saving Faith, right? right? It's, we hear it on the radio, It's a word that we use all the time in the church. But the meaning of faith can be set so low and tossed around so often that it can become meaningless. Ask any American person and they will know how to say the name of Jesus. I don't think there's anybody in America who would say they don't know Jesus. But are their hearts... Close to him? Or are they far from him? In James 2 19, Jesus says this You believe that there is one God? Great! Even the demons believe that and shudder. So, what distinguishes us? What is the difference between having faith and knowing about Jesus? If even the demons believe in Jesus and what he's done and who he is, then what's the difference between us and the demons then? We dilute what it means to have faith, to believe in Jesus, when we assume that someone agrees intellectually with some parts and the truth of the Bible. So we shouldn't be surprised by this because it's nothing new. It was common even in the times of Jesus. That's why he said that statement in, in James but the very people um, he spoke to. We kind of forget sometimes that the Bible's original audience, the original people that it was written to were the Jews, the children of God, the people who saw God through many generations of people, heard his promise, were chosen by him, saw all of his miracles and power, the New Testament was written for the church. People who testify that they believe in Jesus. They saw Jesus face to face. They saw his miracles and heard his teachings. In Matthew seven, twenty one and twenty three, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven to the very core. When I first read this passage when I was young, I didn't quite understand what it meant. I thought, you just believe in Jesus and do what he tells you to do, and then when he calls you, just hope that your name is on the book of life. But something struck, stuck out the more I read it. The deeper into my faith with Jesus, I noticed it wrote, it says, in your name, in your name, in your name. So these are just random unbelievers. These are just people that just came off the street or were living only worldly lives and never heard of Jesus. These are people who actually profess that Jesus is Lord. They actually claim to do Jesus' work. And it says that they will actually do some things they will prophesy, they will drive out demons, they will even perform miracles. That's a little scary. So we can see that faith that's diluted, if we don't quite understand what it really means to have faith, can be devastating, it could be deadly. It can be eternally deadly. I want to tell you, um, remind you of another story that comes out in the Bible. Do you guys remember the 12 spies that were sent into Canaan to check out the promised land that God had given to the Israelites? They had just trekked through the desert, and they finally came to the edge where Canaan was, and so they didn't want to send a whole bunch of people in through the border, so what they did was they sent 12 spies. It's like the Sunday school song, like, Ten were bad and two were good. I never get the hand motions very well. But the only people that came back with a good report of Canaan was Joshua and Caleb. Now, the ten who came back, they didn't lie. They talked about how big the walls were, how huge the people were, how how the people were no match physically like military, military-wise, right? They were no match for the people in Canaan to take over the land. They weren't lying. But these 12 men, they were leaders of their tribe. They were one man per tribe that were chosen to go into Canaan. They weren't just random people. They were people who were speaking into influence and into the lives of their own tribe, into their own people. And I tell you this is because these were the same people that went and saw all of God's power in Egypt. They saw the 10 plagues. They saw the pillar of fire. They saw the Red Sea splitting and all of the Egyptians being swallowed up by the water. These weren't just people that, who didn't know God. They heard God's voice come down to Mount Sinai and in the thunder bring his presence down. But out of the 200,000 people, which were recorded in the Bible, but scholars say it's not 200,000. If you include the women and the children and all of the non-fighting men, the total would have been close to two million. Out of the two million people, only two went into Canaan. That's not three out of four. Two out of two million. What did God see in those two men? What faith did they have that was different from the faith that the other Israelites didn't have? Didn't they witness the same God? I don't think any Israelite would have said there is no God after what they witnessed, after they came out of Egypt. The other extreme when we swing, instead of a diluted faith, is a complicated faith. If you're like me, you overanalyze everything. And well-to-do Christians try to avoid a diluted faith by going the other extreme. They swing completely to the other end and complicating faith so much that it becomes too difficult to know if anyone really has it. The key way that you know that you've overcomplicated faith is that if you ask a lot of enough questions, if faith in Christ involves commitment to Christ, how can I know if I'm committed enough? If faith involves surrender to Christ, how can I know if I've surrendered enough? These are the kind of questions that come into my head. If faith requires for me to have a human a humble heart before Christ, how do I know if I'm humble enough? I know that there have been many saints in the past who ask these same questions. They've whipped themselves. They've created rules. They've created so many ways because they think that faith is so complicated that you have to work your way into achieving salvation, this kind of questioning keeps Christians in a never-ending loop of anxiety and frustration, which is completely the opposite of what Jesus says his salvation is all about. It says it's in Matthew 1128 to 30, becoming his disciple means to come to him so if we are weary and burdened. He said that I will give you rest. That doesn't sound like a complicated puzzle. For my yoke is easy and burden is light. In 1 John 5, 3, it says, For it this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. And God would not say that unless it's truth. Then how can we have the right biblical perspective of faith? How can we avoid the two extremes of trying to, diluting it, and it becomes meaningless, or we make it so difficult it becomes a calculus question. We can understand what the biblical meaning definition of faith if we understand two things correctly. What the goal of faith is, the reasoning, the motivation, the why we need to have faith, and the role of faith. The what, what are we supposed to believe in? What does that have anything to do with my life and salvation? The goal of faith is, have you ever questioned why be a Christian at all? Why not any other religion? Why not any other faith? If you had to answer that, what would you say honestly? If you had asked me that when I was a child and I first came to know Jesus, um, I have to tell you I grew up um, in a very, very strict Christian home and my mother was also very strict culturally. I also went to a very strict uh, Baptist school uh, where there were a lot of um, um, prophesying missionaries that came over. Um, if you sit, sat in the first row like Megan and Jake are, uh, you would have been um, baptized with my spit. And so I'm not making fun of it. They were very earnest, and they did their job right. I, I came to know their Lord at that school. So, But if you had asked me, why do you believe in Jesus? Why be a Christian? It would have been easy. It's because I'm afraid. I'm afraid to miss out on heaven. They told me I would not go to heaven if I didn't believe in Jesus, right, isn't, that's an an honest, that's an honest reason, right, it's an honest reason, and I think fear has a lot to do with sometimes why we first come to Christianity, it's unfortunate, it's not always the only way, but God does use it sometimes, but I hope that you don't stay there, I'm really glad and blessed that I never stayed in, in that position of always being fearful. My mother always asked me, can you imagine going to heaven and you're going to spend eternity with somebody that you don't even like? You're going to spend an eternity with somebody that you're afraid of? Somebody who's going to one day kick you out of heaven? How can you do that? So obviously, it's obvious, we giggle, but sometimes those lies get into our heads. We come to Christianity because of fear. And it's true, even if we are new to our Christian faith, because we haven't really developed a true relationship with Christ, a true relationship with who God really is. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us to hear that the goal of faith is not so that we can be happy. It's not so that we can have joy. The goal of faith is not so that we can have peace or satisfaction. It's not even to go to heaven. These are all very, very great things. But they are not the motivation you should have to have faith. But we would have missed out the point of the gospel entirely if that was the only reason we believed in the gospel. The one and only motivation that is a truth of why the goal of faith is so that we can be restored with God, so that we can be whole again. Our sinful nature ripped us apart from his presence. We, never, we were no longer welcome to be in his holy presence because we would die otherwise because of our sinful nature and his holy nature cannot be in the same place. All the things that I've listed just now, happiness, joy, peace, satisfaction, and heaven even, are blessings that come from being restored with God. And one of the biggest things, one of the biggest blessings that we get is the forgiveness of our sins. In the second thread, we learn that our sinfulness before a holy and eternal God can only be judged by eternal death because he is an eternal God and there are eternal consequences before an eternal God. And because God is a just judge, We must judge, he must judge, uh, I'm sorry, he must judge sin accordingly. But instead of going against his own word, knowing we would never be able to pay the penalty and the cost of sin, he placed all of that cost onto his son, Jesus Christ. And so, restoration to God comes only through faith in Jesus. Amen. Oh, Ephesians 2, 8 says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Let me read that again. But instead of grace, I'm going to put gift in there. For by God's gift, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. We talked about the motivation, the reason why we need to have faith. Now, we're going to talk about what we need to have faith in. I've already said it, and we hear it all the time, so we come back to our question of how can we have faith if we don't know what we need to have faith in? And the answer is always Jesus. Jesus is the basis of our salvation. We base all of our eternal life on him. We learned from the very beginning of this series that we have rebelled against God and the core of all of sin and selfishness is self. All of our sinful behavior is because we are at the center of all of our decisions, all of our thoughts, self. And so if we are to be restored to God, we do not rely on ourselves or even on our own faith to make us right. We are restored to God completely, based on one person's innocence—Jesus's. So yes, belief in Christ, His work on the cross, and His resurrection—that is what we need to have faith in. Then, what does faith have anything to do with our salvation? What role does it play? If sinfulness itself. And our way and our self salvation, our works, then faith is a complete opposite of that. It is anti work. Faith is the only attitude that we can have where we are completely dependent upon Jesus, dependent upon the gift that God has given us. In Hebrews 11, if you see, there's a whole chapter about faith. In verse one, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. Faith is believing in God's promise. We talked about Jesus. There are sometimes uh, some of the youth will ask me, well, how about all of the people who came before Jesus? How can they have faith? How can they have faith? In Hebrews, it says that they had faith. They were looking forward and trusting in God to fulfill a promise that he had given. It said said that Abraham was deemed righteous because of his faith. He was called righteous because he knew and trusted, even though he couldn't see it, even though at the time he didn't even have Isaac, that God would fulfill his covenant with Abraham the looking forward to that promise. The two spies that I talked about, Joshua and Caleb, that was a difference between the rest of the two million Israelites. They saw exactly the same thing. None of them lied. But the two spies that came back with a good report, they were looking forward to the promise. They trusted that God would fulfill their promise of giving them that promised land so that they could be a blessing to the rest of the nations. And today, we are to have faith by looking back, by looking back and seeing that God has indeed fulfilled his promise, that he has given us a provision to erase all of our sin, to become whole. Then does that mean that work has nothing to do with faith? If faith comes from God, and it's a gift freely given to us, and all we have to do is accept it. Does work have nothing to do with it? Is it irrelevant? No. Work, instead of seeing it as a way to earn salvation, good works is evidence of salvation. I know we went over a nine-week series about the fruit of the Spirit and that is exactly how it should be. If we have faith and we know and we're convicted that we have Jesus Christ in our life, the good work should come as a fruit. It bears fruit in our life. It is the opposite. It's a consequence of faith. In Mark 1.15, Jesus claimed, when he very, very first started his official ministry, the time has come, he said. The kingdom has come of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Which is it? Are we supposed to repent? Or are we supposed to believe? And the answer is both. I know that you've seen this illustration a million times. But in order for us to turn towards Christ, you have to turn away from something. We can't turn away from something And just be free to ourselves. That's what got us into the position we are in the first place. We can't be, we have to belong to something. We either belong to sin or we belong to Christ. Paul said in Romans 6.22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. So believing in Jesus cannot be separated from repenting of sin. It happens simultaneously. That also means if we claim to have faith in Christ and if we refuse to repent, we have to question our faith. How do we talk about faith? How do we weave it? We've defined it as accepting a gift that God gives us. It's like if we were all in the Sanrio store and God tells us you can do, have whatever you want. I want to give you this precious thing. We have to let go of what's in our hands for us before we accept anything. We have, if we talk about turning with our friends, We can talk about the mercy of Christ when people around you, you see their sin. We can talk about the presence of Christ, that God never leaves us, that he has sought us out from the very beginning, that he gave us Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, and that has been his sole purpose from the very beginning. When people around us come to the end of themselves and they finally realize that there's nothing that they can do, that there's nothing that we can do to earn salvation, to get ourselves out of that pit. We can talk about trusting. We can't accept a gift from somebody we don't trust. Right? It definitely limited my gifts right, from my uncle but we can also do that with God. We have to trust God. We have to hope that he will provide the great provider who gave us his promise. The two spies that went into Canaan, they hoped that God would fulfill his promise. And we still have that same hope as we see Jesus who came and who took care of all of our sins. That same God who gave us Jesus is the same God today. He is faithful and just. Encourage people to see the lordship of Christ and urge people around you to receive the love of Christ. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be a huge jigsaw puzzle where it is so difficult and we overcomplicate it, overanalyze it, that you need a theology course in order to understand what faith is. R.C. Sprout once said, it is one thing to believe in God. It is quite another to believe God. We can also talk about faith in our lives. In order to avoid diluting what faith is, we we should stop talking in terms that we hear in the the church. Yes, I said it. I give you permission not to use Christianese. Don't talk in cliché. Don't talk in terms that you hear over and over again in the Bible. Be authentic, be you, be real. We don't have to use the same terms that we see in memes and in postcards. But you can talk about what Christ is doing in your life right now. In simple words, make him present, make him real. And talk about what he, how he has changed you. I want to call up the band right now and I want to ask, are you here today with not a real understanding of what faith is? Have I made it worse? Have I made it as clear as mud? Then I want you to ask the Lord because these are not my words, it's his. And his truth can be revealed through his spirit. All you have to do is ask. He's just waiting for you to give you that gift. If you wanna pray in the front, the mercy seat is always open and no one will come and bother you here. You can pray in your seat because God is not limited to cushions and chairs and benches. You can pray with your children. You can pray with your eyes open because he doesn't, he's not limited to you being blinded either. But there's real power when you brush off the devil from your lap and get up and pray. There's real power when you invite the Holy Spirit and accept faith. There's also people on the side who are willing to pray with you at any time. If you have anything that you wanna pray with them, that they are available. I want to ask you, have you been diluting faith? Have you been thinking about it as if that, yes, you understand what Jesus is. you understand what it means to be a Christian. but have you really been convicted in your heart? Do you really have the hope and the promise that a faithful God is with you at all times and He is working in you right now? Or have you over-analyzed it like me, and worked it into such a twist that you have to bring it before him and say, "God, do something with this." Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you for the gift of faith, Lord. God, we really want to accept all that you have ready for us. All we have to do is receive it. God, we are such small people with small understanding, with with so many limitations, Lord. And we put you under Neath our limitations we put you in that small square so that we can feel safe but god that's not what true faith is you ask us to trust in you to trust that you have bigger things in mind that trust that the gift that you have for us is so much more beyond us god and so lord help us not to define our salvation in our own terms But God, help us to lay it before you every single day, daily, Lord. The gospel is not meant only for people who've never heard of you, but it is meant for everyone. It restores us. It renews us. It gives us strength. It transforms us. It, Lord, Heavenly Father, makes us holy as we know the true value of Jesus Christ and what he is continuing to do in our lives, Lord. So Lord, help us to have true faith not one that's diluted not one that's too complicated but one that's rooted into your word having hope that you are the great provider and that you have already provided the best gift of all Lord the answer is always Jesus it is always you help us to return to you help us to know of your mercy and your love Lord, Heavenly Father, every single life that is here, you hear their pleas, you hear their cries of their heart, and I can't pray for every single one of them, but I know that you do. You know their needs, Lord. So Lord, help them to know that your presence is near, that it it doesn't have to be three out of four, it doesn't have to be two out of two million, but every single one of us can be a witness, can be a light on a hill and can share what you are doing in our lives by weaving the gospel into our every single moment of our every single day. We give you praise, and we give you glory, and with hope and expectation of what you are going to do in us, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.